This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Turn to the book of Ruth uh, this morning. If you're new with us today, uh, we are for our Advent series, our Christmas series. Uh, we've been walking through the, the four chapters of the book of Ruth, which is just kind of a, a beautiful uh, foreshadowing of the coming of, of Christ. And so there's a love story that's taking place in Ruth, but there's a greater love story that's taking place there, and it's a love story that brings joy. So here on this third Sunday of, of Advent, uh, we're focusing on uh, the joy that we have in, in Christ. So Ruth chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bible or turn your Bible uh, on as the case may be. Again, I'm going to use the, uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible this morning. I just love kind of the, the, the narrative flow that we see here in that translation uh, here in, um, in Ruth. And so follow along with me and we're going we're gonna to read through the third chapter and then walk through and look at the joy of the Lord. The Bible says that Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. So she went to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, and it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you, but if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Let's pray together. Father, as we think about the joy that only you can bring, 
We pray that you would speak to us through your word today. We are so prone because of our sin nature to look for joy in sources other than you, to seek to find joy in sin and the things of this world. But we know that joy that lasts is only found in you. Only you can truly satisfy our souls. Only you can, can, can quench the deepest thirst that we have. The, only you can fill the deepest hunger that we have with your joy. Lord, show us that today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to be honest, I, I have no idea how many channels the TV has at, at our house. I know that I only need about maybe five of them, um, but I, I also know this. I know that uh, when it comes to the females in my home, Melissa and Courtney and Cassidy, basically there only needs to be one channel, and that is the Hallmark channel, or maybe two, the Hallmark movie channel. As, as well. And so that's the case in our home like throughout the year. But let me tell you, over Christmas, it kicks into high year with the Hallmark uh, Channel. Now, I have to be honest and confess to you that I have never actually watched a Hallmark movie from beginning to end. But I have drifted through the room enough times to kind of know what's going on in the Hallmark movies. So there's always, a, it's always a love story. There's always a romance, usually an unlikely romance. And, and there seems to be something that will sort of threaten the relationship. But in the end, love wins out and there's, uh, there's joy. Well, in the book of Ruth, we see a lot of those themes. There's certainly an unlikely romance in the book of Ruth, there is something that, as we'll see today, that could potentially torch things and threaten that relationship. But what we're going to also see um, is that there is, there's not only joy in the end, but in this love story, there's a much bigger and a much deeper love story that is happening besides the love story that's taking place between two people. And it's a love story that brings joy. So how do we see the joy of the Lord here in Ruth 3? First of all, we see here the joy of gospel risk. The joy of gospel risk. Let's kind of Let's kind of walk through, and again, um, if, you've, if you're new, uh, we have the outline printed on, your, on the back of your bulletin, um, and you can fill in the blanks and take notes as we go along. Point one is the joy of gospel risk. So what do we see here? Verse, verse one, Ruth's mother-in-law name is Naomi said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, last week we saw that Naomi's heart was beginning to, to soften spiritually. In chapter one, she was a very bitter woman. By the end of chapter one, Naomi is very bitter. She's angry with God. She's bitter at how it seems like her life is turning out and basically she was just focused on herself. But, but now we're beginning to see her heart is softening. 
And when our heart softens, we, we get our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to see the needs of other people. And so Naomi here is seeing the need of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, for a husband. Now, if you were here last week, how, how did chapter 2 end? At the very end of chapter 2, the last verse of chapter 2, it ended with the words that Ruth was still living with her mother-in-law. And that was meant to highlight the fact that Ruth still had no husband. And for a woman to be single in the ancient world placed her in a position of, of incredible vulnerability. And so Ruth needs a a husband, and Naomi is recognizing that, and she, she wants Ruth to have that. She wants someone that will, that will love her and, and, and take care of her, um, but there's something more that's going on. There's a deeper need that's going on. Yes, Ruth is in need of a loving, godly husband, but Israel is in need of a godly king. So remember what we've been talking about in the setting of Ruth? It takes place during the time of the judges. A bleak time in Israel's history. In fact, the way that the book of Judges, the book that immediately precedes the book of Ruth, the way that it ends, the last verse of Judges says that in those days, Israel had no king, and so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel needed a godly king, and all of us need a savior. And here's the deeper thing. The book of Ruth is setting the stage for both of those things to happen. The, the relationship and the eventual marriage of Ruth and Boaz is setting the stage for the birth of King David. And the birth of David sets the stage for the one who will be born in the line of David, in the city of David, Jesus, the Messiah. So when you take a look at the Christmas story, a lot of times as 21st century Americans, when we read Luke 1 and 2, we're not like seeing immediately all of these connections to David, but they're there. <laughs> Believe me, they are there. Let's take a look at some of them. Um, look at, uh, at, uh, at Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. These will be on screen. We'll run through them quickly. Uh, it says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. A few verses later, verses 31 and 32, the angel says to Mary, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Again, 
at the end of chapter one in verses 68 and 69. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Luke two, verses four through six, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant while they were there. In Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And then in Luke 2, 11, when the shepherds, uh, uh, are, 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 are visited by the angels in the fields outside of Bethlehem. What do the angels announce to the shepherds today in the city of David? A savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. So you see, the love story of Ruth and Boaz which takes place in Bethlehem, is setting the stage for the birth of David, and the birth of David sets the stage for the Savior, who is going to be born from the line of David in the city of David. Let's check out verse two. Naomi continues speaking to Ruth, and she says, now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, remember, we talked about last week that, that Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, who was Naomi's deceased husband. And we talked about the fact that, that Boaz had been designated as a, like a family redeemer, sometimes called a kinsman redeemer. And we talked about last week that this was one of the, the safety nets that God had put in the Old Testament law for the poor. And so if a member of your family came into hard times, the, the family redeemers would be obligated to, 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 to intervene on behalf of that person. And so Boaz is a family redeemer, okay, in, in Naomi's family. But in this situation, he, because of, of just technicalities that I won't get into, but, but because of, of, of where he is, he's not so closely related to Naomi that he is legally obligated to to intervene on her behalf, let alone obligated to marry Ruth. But Naomi is hoping that Boaz will act in the spirit of a redeemer and, and marry Ruth. That is clearly her desire at this point. And so in verses three and four, she says to Ruth, wash, put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you were there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. 
go in and uncover his feet and lie down, then he will explain to you what you should do. Now, in our overly sexualized 21st century American culture, I mean, this sounds like you know, some kind of weird ancient uh, seduction, but that is not what is taking place. First, what's taking place is that it was customary for sort of the, the, the farmer to, to sleep beside the grain pile lest it be stolen. So that's how Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be there. By telling Ruth to put on your best clothes, put on perfume and things like that, in that culture, that was something that was associated with a wedding. And what we're going to see here indeed is going to be a proposal of marriage. The uncovering of the feet seems to be a gentle way of getting him to wake up. (laughs) Verses five through seven. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So this is not about seduction, but it does entail risk. Ruth is taking a risk. She is risking being misunderstood. She is risking being rejected. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid um, says this about Ruth 3 and the subject of risk. He says, Ruth 3 compels each of us to ask this question. What am I willing to risk and for what? For the sake of having fun or receiving a promotion or having a family, people are willing to put up with all kinds of discomforts and potential costs. What are we willing to risk though for the sake of the gospel? For most of us, the answer is probably not very much. We're not very willing to risk our lives or our health our reputations or our comfort, our friends or our families for the sake of the gospel. The most obvious proof of our aversion to spiritual risk lies in our unwillingness to talk to others about God, what Francis Schaeffer called our guilty silence. Never mind putting our reputations at risk at midnight during the barley harvest We wouldn't even risk being thought odd by our friends over coffee because we talk to them about Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. But if we will risk for the gospel, we will discover a spirit-filled joy that we will never experience if we play it safe and refuse to risk for the gospel. So we see here in chapter three, the joy of gospel risk. Second, we see the joy of gospel redemption. The joy of gospel redemption. Let's look at verses eight and nine. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, 
Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, literally, this expression, take, take me under your wing, literally it means spread the edge of your garment over me, which in that culture was the equivalent of the giving of an engagement ring. She is inviting Boaz to act in the spirit of a redeemer and to take her as his wife. Boaz instantly understands what's going on and he says to her tenderly in verses 10 and 11, then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say since the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. If this were a Hallmark movie, <laughs> this is the moment when, when Melissa and Courtney and Cassidy would all go, aw, aw. But every good story has a plot twist, right? There's always something looming that can threaten the relationship. And that's the case here, um, as we see in, in verses 12 and 13. Boaz says, yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you, but if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now, lie down until morning. So what Boaz is talking about here is that legally, there is a, another family redeemer who, because of his, his closer uh, ties to Elimelech, legally this other redeemer has rights that supersede his own. And so technically, he has the opportunity to marry Ruth uh, before Boaz. And so he has to be given that opportunity, which, you know, when we read that, that makes us like sit on pins, right? On the edge of our seat. We, we don't want that to happen. Who is this guy? I mean, you know, we want, we want Boaz to be her husband. And obviously she wanted Boaz to be her husband. <clears throat> well, not to worry. God's got it. <laughs> God's got it covered. He's got all the stuff we worried about uh, covered. He's, he's got it. And we're going to see that play out as we, as we go along. Verse 14, so she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Now here again, we see Boaz's noble character coming through because he knows that nothing immoral has happened, but he wants to protect Ruth's reputation. He doesn't want other people to, to know that she was there because he wants her reputation to be protected and so he wants to protect her and he also wants to provide for her. Look at verse 15. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl and she went into the town. Again, this is a huge amount of seed. 
but there's more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, he is providing for Ruth and Naomi with this, with this huge, this abundance of, of seed. But again, what's the bigger story that's taking place in Ruth? Israel needs a king. They need David to be born. We need a savior. We need Jesus to be born. We need seed. Seed. Babies need to be born. Seed. And so there's a deeper thing that's happening here, right? That's being foreshadowed. God is going to provide for Israel's need and for ours. Verse 16. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and asked her, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. So this phrase, what happened, uh, in the ESV it translates it, how did, how did you fare? Okay, so all the modern translations are going to translate it that way. But literally here in Hebrew, what Naomi asks Ruth is, literally it's, who are you? Who are you? It's the same, we heard that question before, right? It was in verse 9. When Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night and in the darkness, there's this woman at his feet and he says, who are you? That's literally the question here that, that Naomi is asking Ruth. Ruth, who are you? That's the deeper question that's being asked here in Ruth. Who are you, Ruth? Are, are you just a poor immigrant girl from Moab or are you a key player in God's plan to redeem the world to provide Israel a king and to provide the world with the king of kings that's what's played out here verse 17 she said he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Now, what's another theme that we've seen in this book? Emptiness. Do you remember in chapter one when Naomi got back to Bethlehem and she saw all her friends in Bethlehem you know, coming up to her? What did Naomi say to them? She was so bitter. She said, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. But see, Naomi did not have eyes to see what God was doing. Because in reality, God was gonna bring her from emptiness to fullness. And listen to me, discouraged Christian brother or sister, if that's you today. You need to understand, there's a God who is sovereign and he loves you. And he's on the throne and he's doing things in your life that you might not be able to see right now. 
but he knows the plans he has for you. Plans for good and not for harm. Plans for hope and a future. You hold on to that. He loves you. He's got you. He's got good things planned. He's in control. Let's go back to verse 12. This the statement that Boaz made to Ruth. He said, yes, it's true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Now, in the mind of Boaz, in the mind of Boaz, he's simply saying, there is another guy whose legal rights to marry you supersede my own. But in the plan of God, there's been another redeemer hovering in the shadows of this story all along. Because behind the scenes of this love story, there's a greater love story that's taking place. Again, Ian Duguid points to this so beautifully and powerfully. He says the real love story is behind the scenes. It's the love of God for his straying sheep. This love took its fullest shape in the coming of Jesus Christ. His love for us took him much further than a grain pile at midnight. It caused him to leave the glories of heaven and come to us. It led him to come as a baby in Bethlehem where he found no refuge. Unlike Ruth, there was no place of rest for Jesus in Bethlehem, no godly Boaz to protect him. Instead, he had to make do with a temporary place in a stable before he was driven out, having to flee for his life even when he was a baby. The same love of God took Jesus all the way to the cross. There in the midst of a darkness far deeper than any ordinary midnight, he offered himself up for the sins of his people. He will be your redeemer and receive you into his family. He will cover you with his wings and be your refuge. He will spread the robe of Christ's righteousness over you. No matter how undeserving you are, no matter what you've done or where you've been, the invitation is open to come and be redeemed. Praise God. Let's pray together. Oh, and Father, we thank you for that invitation. And we thank you for your gift of Jesus that made that invitation possible. Father, thank you for the, the, the beautiful picture of the gospel that we see here in, in Ruth. Father, I just lift up anyone here today that needs to turn to Jesus, that needs to, to turn to, to their redeemer, Father, I pray that, that, that right now you would, you would be working in hearts and lives just to do that very thing. As we just continue to, to bow before the Lord in these moments, I would, I would invite you, if you don't know Christ, turn to him. 
Turn to him now. Turn from trying to do life your way apart from the Lord, trying to find joy in sin and in the things of this world. Turn to Jesus and trust. Trust in him. Trust in in the blood that was shed for you on the cross. Trust in his resurrection from the dead. Receive him into your life as as your king, as your redeemer. Maybe you're here today as a believer, but yet your relationship with the Lord has slipped and you're, you're trying to find joy in other places and other sources other than Jesus. You're trying to drink from the broken cisterns of this world that will never satisfy. And come home to him today. Find your joy and him alone, only Jesus will satisfy. So Father, we pray that you would just bless your people now, work in all of our hearts and lives, that you would reign as king in each one of us. And we ask it in in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.